and welcome again, everyone, to a brand new edition of the Heel and Face podcast, podcast dedicated to the world of professional wrestling. How you doing, everybody? It's me, Steve C., Steve Castlin over here, live, daddy, and we're doing the thing. A lot of good stuff to talk about today. The PWI 500 came out, and... There's a little bit of controversy. I don't know if it's too much. I think wrestling fans and people in general want to make much ado about nothing. What we'll do is we'll run down the PWI Top 25. Some names on there you might be familiar with. Some names you might not be familiar with. Some names you probably should be familiar with. And of course, who made the number one rank overall. Plus, we also get into the passing of a WWE Hall of Famer. And one of the greats, one of the last holdovers from the territory days, one of the last great wrestlers from the Mid-South and NWA and all that, who had a lasting impression on the business that not a lot of people give enough credit for. Thanks for joining me, guys. It is great to talk to you, at you, with you, but not about you unless you're a wrestler and not through you. We've got a cool show lined up for you. So let's just get into it, man. Who is number one? I know I'm number one in your hearts, but if you want to go back to one of the greatest, the one of the all time, the goat of professional wrestling journalism, other than me, (laughs) uh, you can go check out Pro Wrestling Illustrated. It was definitely one of the magazines that I always either bought or thumbed through before I got kicked out of the drugstore or magazine shop where I was looking at it. The number one wrestler in the world, according to Pro Wrestling Illustrated 2020 edition of the PWI 500 is none other than ultra-violent John Moxley, the current AEW champion. I am okay with this. He's had an amazing year. And he's really helped bring AEW to prominence. Now, whether you feel it's just all of his anti-WWE backlash, where whether it's just a bunch of guys from, you know, the uh, indies who've always followed him and wanted to put him there, or whether it's his solid work on its own, it all adds up to... John Moxley being the number one overall. I'm not really one way or the other about it. To be honest, I recognize all of the work that John Moxley has done in his career and to deserve it. I think he really does deserve everything that he's getting. I'm not 100% sure that, again, AEW is the place to showcase it, but it's not what I think. Sorry, the AEW has given him a platform to be himself. So if this is what people were looking for when John Moxley first signed with the WWE and were disappointed because they didn't get it, it's not necessarily John Moxley's fault. It was WWE's fault for, I guess, not letting him be like this. This is the wrestler that John Moxley always was. And AEW, for all of its faults, is giving it to us. Could we have seen this John Moxley without the belt? Yeah, we probably could have. It would have led the detractors of AEW, sometimes me, who would say something like, well, all AEW has done lately uh, is they did what they promised they weren't going to do, 
which was push guys who were friends or that they knew from WWE and put a, uh, the straps on them. So they kind of did what everybody thought that they weren't going to do. And the first two AEW champions in the company, again, I'm going to die on this mountain. And I know you guys have heard me say it multiple times. And I know you guys have um, yelled at me for it or whatever. But Hangman Adam Page should have been the first AEW champion. It shouldn't even have been a... Uh, it shouldn't even have been a, 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 a thought. It shouldn't have been a second thought. Should have automatically been Hangman Adam Page. If you wanted to set the tone that you are different and you wanted to set the tone that you are different from everyone else and you're going to give young stars who deserve the shot, the shot, Page should have got the belt automatically as soon as they were ready to go. But they gave it to Chris Jericho and then Chris Jericho drops it to John Moxley and it doesn't look like John Moxley is going to lose it anytime soon. So there you go. Now, that being said, it's not like he's sloughing off as champion. He's taken on all comers. He gave Jericho his rematch. He gave uh, other people shots. He was getting everybody shot from Brian Cage and Mr. Brody Lee and, and all that and still survived. So John Moxley has taken on high-level competition for his AEW belt. So we can't say that he's not. We can't say that he's ducking competition. Or we can't say he's phoning it in. I don't think he's phoned in a match since he's been there, honestly. Even with Darby Allin, who both of them actually made each other look good. Because Darby Allin is really underrated, I think. And will be a future star in AEW. I think they rushed the mentor, mentee, father, son, hero, whatever dynamic completely by giving us that match. I know it was probably due to, you know, trying to compete with WWE and whatnot. And they gave that match to us pretty quickly. But other than that, John Moxley's put together consistent matches, decent matches skewing a little toward his czw days of course but still pretty good matches and for that he deserves to be number one he could have been number one without the AEW belt and i know people are going to say well pwi is turning into another mark mag and all the kids love the AEW, so of course they're going to put john moxley on top especially since Number two, and we'll get to who number two was in a minute, especially since number two could arguably be the guy carrying not just one brand, hint, hint, but carrying all three brands at the same time. I'm not going to take anything else away from John Moxley other than I feel like he deserves where he is in the rankings. He was consistently the best wrestler who took on the best competition, and he's the champ. So who else made the top 25? And I think what I kind of want to do is I kind of want to take a little bit of it and break it down in a couple of different ways over the next couple of weeks. So I think that's what I'll do. I think what I'd like to do is just give you the first top 25, have some thoughts on it, and then maybe hopefully later on, 
in the podcast, you can come to me either live or you can hit me up on the Heal and Face Facebook page or you can hit me up on the Twitter, either one that you prefer to do. You can tell me who deserves to be number one, who was ranked about where you would thought they would be, who was ranked lower, who was ranked higher. Um, just give me your thoughts in general on what you think. So let's read them for those of you who are joining us on the audio side of this podcast. Starting from number one, John Moxley, as we already revealed. Number two, Adam Cole, Bay Bay. Number three, former AEW champion and loser on the ultimate schmodown to Kevin Smith. Ha ha. If you caught that, uh, give me a shout. But yeah. Number three, former AEW champion Chris Jericho. Apparently, he doesn't know as much about movie trivia as he thought he did. Number four, current WWE champion Drew McIntyre. Number five, Tetsuya Naito, who as of today just regained both the IWGP and Intercontinental titles from Evil, and that makes me a little sad. So I'm going to comment on that in a minute, but just want to let you know that there was some breaking spoiler news from the world of New Japan. Speaking of New Japan, number six, the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Kata. Number seven, the former AEW TNT champion, Cody Rhodes. Number eight, the Monday Night Messiah, Seth Rollins. Number nine, Kofi Kingston. Number 10, his longtime rival, AJ Styles. Number 11, very interesting. Number 11, Keith Lee, who is now in the WWE Raw brand, and he has come with a bit of controversy. I think it's a little bit of overanalyzing here, but people are pretty upset about his ring attire and his new ring entrance music. And if that's what we're worrying about with a pro wrestler, I think Keith Lee obviously making the list at 11 proves that we're worrying a little too much. You've got Barack Lesnar. I pulled away from the microphone for you. You're welcome. At number 12, Brock Lesnar. Number 13, Kenny Omega, current AEW tag champion. Although there's drama with that. And we can get into that a little later as well. Number 14, the big dog who made his shocking return to SummerSlam at number 14. And I'm a little shocked he's this high, seeing as though he was out of commission. I think the editors of... PWI are making some pretty smart COVID related decisions here. So number 15, the NWA champion, Nick Aldis showing up number 16, current WWE universal champion Bray Wyatt at number 17, new Japan star Kota Ibushi, who by the way, coincidentally 17 is also the number of concussions that he currently has. Number 18, current Ring of Honor star, Roosh. I'm not aware if he is still Ring of Honor champ. I don't think he is. He might be. He might have regained it. But he's made the top 25. He's the only Ring of Honor star to make it right now. And that kind of hurts my heart a little bit. Number 19, Braun Strowman, the monster, awakened. And he awakened at number 19. 
Number 20, someone you should definitely keep your eye on, and I will talk about that in a minute, is current MLW heavyweight champion Jacob Fatu, who is killing it right now, and he's probably one of the best-kept secrets in pro wrestling at the moment. Number 21, a jacked-up Will Ospreay, who says he isn't doing many more flips anymore because he's about 20 pounds heavier. Number 22, arguably the best heel in the business. Hopefully the future AEW world champion in Maxwell, Jacob Friedman, MJF. Number 23, fresh off a shocking, not so shocking heel turn against Kevin Owens is Aleister Black. Number 24, another interesting pick that no one really saw coming and Unless you're a super hardcore wrestling fan, you know Kento Mayara, who had a pretty dominant year this year, only to lose right before the PWI came out. So a lot of these wrestlers, if you're wondering why they're on this list, it's probably because they graded out pretty high right before a major pay-per-view event. And finally... I don't even think this one is affected by COVID-19 or not. Probably the only reason why he is because he isn't able to really work or defend. But coming in at number 25, the current WWE UK champion, Walter. So the list seems pretty good, pretty predictable to me. It seems like it's about right. If you looked at that list and said anything other than it's about right, I'd like to know what you think. But as far as I'm concerned, I mean, there's really no controversies there. I will say a couple of we've uh, got Adam Cole, which I probably would have put Adam Cole at number one and Moxley at number two, just because, in my opinion, Adam Cole is carrying not only NXT, but he's also carrying the other two brands without even doing anything. Just because of the rumors that Adam Cole was leaving Undisputed Era after a possible loss to Pat McAvee would show you that Adam Cole is one of the assets to WWE right now and that he's buzzing the company without even being on the quote unquote big two brands. Adam Cole's had a consistently great year. His trajectory seems to continue to go up. I might have put him at number one, but I'm not writing the editors of the magazine to change their positions. Naito still on the list, even though he lost to Evil at Wrestle Kingdom, only to get both belts back. So Naito has been having a really good year, consistent year if you've been paying attention. A little upset that Evil didn't make the top 25, but I'm sure he's in the top anyway. We can talk about that on another edition. I'm really glad that, again, the PWI editors took the whole worldwide pandemic situation into consideration, it seems like here, because quite a bit of the wrestlers that are on this list are here because of the work that they did prior to and not since the pandemic. If you look at say maybe Kofi Kingston, who despite not having the WWE championship belt and getting injured about a month ago or so, that he still remained in the top 10 and deservedly so. He was still tag champs with Big E and he still had a pretty good record despite being out. So I don't see what the reason would have been if you had one to boot him off the list. AJ Styles having a good consistent year as well. 
Brock Lesnar dropping down because he doesn't have the belt and probably because he's not wrestling right now. So still, he had a pretty dominant 2019. It's not like you should let him go for that. Same is true with Omega and Reigns. Again, if there wasn't COVID and he wasn't suffering from an immunocompromised disease at one point in his life, or three points in his life, that he probably would have been at the WWE Performance Center Wrestling, but he wasn't. The ones you have to watch out for, first of all, let's comment a little bit on Jacob Fatu having a really good year that you unfortunately don't really know about. And I'm not gonna lie here, neither do I that much. I've been trying to catch up on MLW and his exploits, but he has been doing such a good job. Part of the Samoan Fatu dynasty. He has been on top and he's really carrying the belt in MLW right now. Contra unit is still continuing as of the shutdown. Contra unit is continuing to run roughshod over MLW. If you remember on the last show that they produced you know non-clip show or non-interview show they've been trying to put some things together on their youtube page but uh they they say that they're going to be getting live shows back together very soon and we hope so but when we last left contra unit they had left davy boy smith jr bloody in the hallway they had taken over the feed of mlw and they were basically just imposing their will so when you've got a guy killing it with all the wins that Jacob Fatu has, he's one of those names that is slipping underneath the radar. But if I had to face him, especially to try to take that title off of him, I probably uh, would think twice and ask to go back where I came from. And another person who's doing a really nice job with a promotion that's on the way up and isn't really talked about is Kento Maihara, who, even though he just lost the Triple Crown to Suwama, again, this is the curse, right, of the PWI 500. Once it's published, you know, whatever happens up until that point, do your research. Don't look at the PWI itself as opposed to the news of what just happened in the world of professional wrestling give it a little bit of a breathing room, give it a little bit of wiggle room to see what happens and compare. If you do that, then you'll find out that Mayahara's had a very good run, including, if I'm not mistaken, 500 days as All Japan's Triple Crown winner. So he's had a very successful, very, uh, very good year as well. And he's definitely a name to keep an eye on when you are looking at who are the best in the world of professional wrestling according to pwi and the 500. i'd like to take a little bit of every segment for the next two or three shows to kind of analyze different parts of it i'd like to see some of the top indie guys who are ranked i know a lot of guys i follow on facebook were ranked really well so again independent wrestling in the midwest is strong and it's uh, never been stronger i don't think and i'd like to just continue that flow of continuing to take parts of the pwi 500 and break it down at least for the next couple of podcasts and if you want to join me on who you think should be in the PWI 500, then you can go to the Heel and Face podcast Facebook page, like it, share it, comment, subscribe, do the things. 
got a lot of run on a post talking about the first episode of Thunderdome and the debacle that it was. And like I said in my post, I'm not going to give any of those scumbags any more run or any more publicity other than what they did. But, you know, we're live, pal, as we like to say, and anything could happen. I'm glad that the WWE took swift action against those indecent, inhuman idiots who just want to get themselves on TV and think it's cute and funny to talk about or show videos of terrible things happening to human beings as the WWE. All they're trying to do is just do something fun for the fans. But as a fan of the show and friend of mine, the Perkzilla, Mr. Perkins, always says, people ruin fun. Sometimes he doesn't use the word ruin. He uses a stronger verb in that phrase from time to time. But the sentiment there is completely true. People ruin fun. So hopefully we'll have less jerks tuning into the Thunderdome. And it kind of behooves you as a fan to try to keep it cool so we can have something nice for future generations as well. The future generations, especially those involved in the WWE, will always remember who got them there, who paved the way for them. And unfortunately, we lost one of those guys, one of those Hall of Famers this weekend. So WWE lost a legend, somebody whose impact on the business is way bigger than you would imagine. Someone who was a champion and a hero into the world of the territories. We're talking Mid-South, we're talking NWA, we're talking Bullet Bob Armstrong. He passed away this week with a long-term battle with bone cancer. That is not fun. That does not sound fun at all. He was legendary in the world of professional wrestling as far as keeping those territories alive. Always a fan favorite. He was somebody that was well-respected, but well-loved in the locker room, well-loved by fans, just an all-around great guy. But the important aspects of it is he also was just a great family man, apparently. And he was a great family man, somebody who really loved his sons, got his sons excited for the business. And those of you who aren't familiar with who his sons are, well, let me tell you. You ever heard of the road dog? That's right. He had four sons that went into the business. Scott Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, Steve Armstrong, and the road dog, Jesse James. Ha ha ha. For a while went as Brian Armstrong. So, uh, or BG James or BG Armstrong, but you know him uh, better as the road dog. Bob Armstrong was a long time. Not only was he a long time uh, wrestler, he was also a promoter. And he was also a time-to-time -time referee as well. Got the name Bullet Armstrong from not only his lightning quickness in the ring, but also he donned the mask of the bullet for a while. And it just kind of stuck when he finally revealed himself as Bob Armstrong. People just called him Bullet Bob from that time on. Served in the military for a long time. He was stationed in Korea. And when he came back, he briefly worked as a firefighter until he caught the wrestling bug full time and went at it 
So the championships that Bullet Bob Armstrong a part of are just so numerous. He was the NWA Southern Heavyweight Champion. He's uh, been multiple time champion for Mid-South, the Georgia Tag Team Champion at one time, television champion, the Mason. I don't know. The city had their own tag championship, but there you go. The Mason Tag Team Champions a couple of times. The National NWA Tag Team Champion. He was the Mid-South, I'm sorry, Mid-America Heavyweight Champion. Just numerous heavyweight champions and title ownerships, tag teams over the years with some of his greats, including his son. So totally missed by the world of professional wrestling. One of the great holdovers from the territory days, one of the great holdovers from the world of professional wrestling when it was, you know, basically just get up in the morning and turn on TBS, something like that and see it and go incredibly athletic incredibly built physique for a smaller guy. I mean, it's kind of funny to think that Bullet Bob would be considered a small guy when he was just a physical specimen, but nowadays he'd be considered a small guy. So props and uh, RIP to one of the legends of professional wrestling, Bullet Bob Armstrong. All right, let's hit it then. I didn't get to watch AEW. I think I need to program my DVR so I can watch the show a little bit better. Uh, seeing as though they're moving around a lot because of the playoffs, the NBA playoffs. But let's get to it. Let's get to Raw. Some good stuff, some meh stuff happening on Raw. I know they're still kind of trying to put things together in the Dome and make it look good. They're still sticking with Raw Underground. God bless them. That shows Spunk. I like Spunk. If anybody remembers, or I don't like Spunk. See, I even messed that up. Forget it. Let's just move on from that wasted reference and go into what happened during the show. i am got mixed reviews of the show. A lot of it was interesting, and then some of it just kind of, I don't know, went back and forth for me. So... Shayna Baszler and Bailey are fighting because they're trying to set something up. And by the way, uh, let's not forget that Shayna and Nia Jax have a feud. And you want to know why they don't want us to forget about it? Because Vince McMahon is, again, using ridiculously dated references that probably 80% of his audience are going to have to Google to find out who these wrestlers are referring to. I don't even, and I wouldn't blame them either. I wouldn't even doubt if Shayna Baszler or Nia Jax even knew the wrestlers they were referring to. I mean, for Shayna Baszler to call Nia Jax Haystacks Calhoun, I would bet good money that 80% of the wrestling audience. Well, I don't know because WWE's demographic, according to the demo God is, is way off. I would be shocked to learn if more than 20% of the WWE's 
current audience knows who Haystacks Calhoun is. That being said, we got a full diet of their dialogue about back and forth about old wrestlers that are come from the 60s that Vince McMahon liked. And we move forward to this match where uh, all Shayna wanted was to get a chance at uh, the SmackDown women's title. And to do it, she had to fight Bailey, who had Nia Jax interfere on her behalf. So I don't know how, but in the convoluted way lol of wwe storytelling now at payback tonight you're going to see Shayna baszler and nia Jax challenge the golden role models sasha banks and bailey for the women's tag team belts now there's a lot of interesting storylines going along here obviously if you follow the show you know that i feel strongly about how much fun tag partners that hate each other are, which is why I really got to go back and rewatch AEW because of what happened this weekend. Apparently the big heel turn of uh, Adam page joining up with FTR happened. And as I've been predicting for weeks and yet somehow I missed it, I don't know, but we'll go back to that uh, later on. Hopefully if we have time in the podcast today, and then you've got that dynamic that I always like versus they're still fomenting the seeds of discord between uh, Shayna, ba- I'm sorry, between Sh- Sasha Banks and Bailey. And even Bailey was bragging about to somebody how they were mad because they didn't have two belts and Sasha looked pretty dejected. So who knows? They always want to tease that coming as well. So who knows? Maybe they'll win tonight. I'm not making a pre-prediction prediction. Maybe uh, something will happen tonight. Who knows? But that kind of just set up the match for payback tonight. So that was all right. You see Tazawa winning back his 24-7 I-95 South Inter-Euro Continental Championship back from R-Truth, Cedric the Sports Entertainer, and Shelton Benjamin. So they involved ninjas, obviously. And the poor ninjas suffered from the wrath of the Hurt Business as Tozawa sacrificed them for the greater good, which happens to be him running off with the 24-7 championship. We'll just go on and we'll go to... Montez Ford beating Angel Garza and kind of a sketchy botch-tastic match. This was sad and frustrating seeing as though these are two young guys who have it pretty well put together in the ring, but for them to botch as much as they did was uh, kind of weird, kind of sad. And the camera angles are not catching uh, everything very well either. Anyway, this is just leading to their match for the tag team championships at payback tonight so we'll see how that happened um the funniest parts were eric and ivar you know eric i think is kind of committing right now to raw underground but ivar the ladies man was seen talking to demi burnett in the back and ivar channeling the power of thor just like Thor does with Mjolnir, reaches out and Mjolnir comes to him. 
Ivar has that power with a turkey leg, and I'm not sure if that's not cooler than being able to summon Mjolnir. Uh, if I could summon a turkey leg right now, I think I would, but be that as it may, that's what happened. Montez Ford is debuting, or not debuting, he's working out his twisting splash from the top rope. That looks pretty cool, very reminiscent of the great Sasuke, so we'll see if that sticks. As a finisher for him, that would be great. Um, I don't know if it's a finisher for for the team that would be good, but, you know, who knows? He already uses a frog splash half the time with his finisher anyway, so we'll see. Um, Riot Squad versus Iconics, and they're going to be the warm-up payback match tonight. That's It's going to be interesting to see the two of them uh, go at it, but it was kind of a three-woman tag match between the Riot Squad and Bianca Belair and the Iconics and Zelina Vega. Actually, I liked it. It was really good. And Bianca Belair even used a glam slam to honor Beth Phoenix. So pretty nice. Uh, good ending. I'd like to see the Riot Squad back together. And I'd like to see what originally what was promised, which is hopefully this is them establishing themselves as a tag team to eventually challenge for uh, the women's tag belts i don't know if i want it to be on Shayna and nia Jax right now but hey there we go um arm wrestling on pro wrestling you always know what's going to happen i think they made it a little bit unpredictable by giving you know apollo cruz the little flinch move i thought that was kind of funny but uh got the quick win but that just Further, the Hurt Business stomping Apollo Crews. And Apollo Crews has his match tonight against Bobby Lashley. So, again, you know, it was what it was. Bobby Lashley channeled his frustration and the Hurt Business visited Raw Underground where he took on Dolph Ziggler and others. I think Bobby ended up getting the last laugh of it by tossing Dolph out of the ring. Although, you know, Dolph is show Dolph showing off his skills, bro. Don't sleep on Dolph Ziggler actually being a good shoot wrestler. Uh, he was one of the top wrestlers in his weight class in college, almost went Olympic. So don't sleep on uh, Dolph Ziggler, especially being able to get Bobby Lashley off his feet with a single leg was pretty good. So, But uh, Bobby Lashley ended up tossing Dolph into the crowd and then taking on and mashing other hapless participants in Raw Underground only to further, again, the Hurt Business being in business. Now, the fun part, the big shock of the night was not only the debut of Keith Lee and people crapping all over his ring attire and his new ring entrance, but also Randy Orton coming out and challenging, or at least Keith Lee coming out and challenging Randy Orton. I thought this was really good, a really good match. Randy Orton can really do no wrong as far as a match. I think he made... Keith Lee look appropriately strong and the fact that we have to complain about what Keith Lee's ring attire was and his ring entrance knows proof right there that Keith Lee is doing what he's supposed to be doing. Keith Lee did a really cool strength spot grabbing Randy Orton's wrists. You know, Randy tries to throw a punch. Keith Lee grabs it out of midair and does the Superman punch crunch thing i think that was pretty cool keith lee showing off his athleticism with his drop kicks and his i'm sorry not drop kicks with his leapfrogging ability and and whatnot and randy orton just making keith lee look uh like a million bucks if it weren't for drew mcintyre's 
interference. And Keith Lee didn't seem very plussed about it. He was quite nonplussed about Drew McIntyre interfering in his match. So whether it's Drew McIntyre interfering in the match and causing Randy Orton to win, trying to play the psychological mind games, or literally just going after Randy Orton, or the fact that people are more concerned about what Keith Lee wore to the ring. Keith Lee is not falling for it. He's not having it. He knows where he is. He knows who he is. He's confident in his abilities, and he knows he's going to tear Raw up. So let's hope for that. And I just want to throw this out here as an aside for Keith Lee's ring attire. Honestly, if that's what we're criticizing, then we really are, as a society, hyper-scrutinizing everything. You don't know why he wore that out there. You have no idea why he, he looked like he looked. Yes, we know Vince McMahon famously thinks guys look fat. We get it. Whatever. You have no idea why Keith Lee dressed up the way he dressed. What we do know is, at the last couple of takeovers... Keith Lee has honored the people that have helped get him to where he is. He's very supportive of the women in his life who have been the ones to help him strive for greatness. He has honored his grandmother on numerous occasions. He's honored his current girlfriend, current WWE NXT superstar, Mia Yim. So what are we talking about here? If his attire looked more like a kilt don't you think that someone like keith lee is smart enough to know a that that's what he wore and he chose to wear it aren't we wear it i'm sorry aren't we giving him a little bit of credit here maybe he wore it to honor the females in his life who've gotten him to his incredible heights in the world of professional wrestling maybe he wore pink to honor women in general in his life you don't know why he's wearing his ring attire if you're worried about what Keith Lee's wearing and you're not worried about what Keith Lee's doing in the ring, then maybe you're not a fan of Keith Lee. The Raw Women's Lumberjack match fell flat for me. Why have a ladder Lumberjack match if all the Lumberjacks are afraid of the person they're throwing in the ring? The heels were too sympathetic towards Sasha. The heels didn't try very hard to get the face in the ring again the face is oscar so i guess maybe you can't really blame them for that uh, it wasn't it was it was more like a stand around the ring match more than a lumberjill match to be honest with you the wrestling inside the ring was pretty great oscar wins putting banks in the oscar lock it basically just furthered things it distanced sasha banks from the main title picture gave her her rematch clause. It furthered the tag match tonight that we're going to see. So I don't know. Uh, the last bright spot of the night was the Mysterios, Ray and Dominic, defeating the Monday Night Messiah and Murphy by disqualification. I dug the match immensely because Dominic is really awesome. Dominic is really good. There was a lot of hype around Pat McAfee being good, but in all honesty, in the situation, Dominic is just way ahead of where he is, where he's, where anybody in his station would be. He is really good, fluid in the ring, knows what he's doing. There are some little tweaks to his game that he needs to work on, like the strikes. 
His kicking, especially his punching, needs to look better. His punching right now looks like his dad, and his dad got away with a lot of those punches because he was smaller, so the rabbit punches, nobody really notices. But now that Dominique is bigger in stature, um, his punches looked a little weak. They looked like they could have used a little more oomph to them. Maybe the uh, striking coaches at the Performance Center can work with Dominic a little bit, make his punches and kicks look a little better. But the wrestling's freaking solid. It's great Lucha Libre influence mix of strong style and Mexican wrestling. Uh, what, what is there to say? He could have wrestled Murphy to a draw that night. Uh, so Dominic is hyper-talented. Yeah, they're going to have him wear the body suits. They're going to have him wear all that. Again, he's fat, right? Whatever. Yeah, I think Dominic could probably lose about three or four pounds of fat and maybe a couple more pounds of muscle. But again, even though I am the best dad ever, I'm still – it's not like I'm the paragon of health, but I will say there's really nothing terribly bad with Dominic Mysterio's game right now. A really great debut, probably win Rookie of the Year at the end of the year. He looked amazing. What can you say? If you're going to criticize him at this point, that's the nitpicky stuff that you're looking for. Uh, but, of course, unfortunately, that didn't last long because – even though the Mysterios won, they won by disqualification because we saw Retribution hit the scene. And Retribution definitely took Retribution out again on members of the WWE by attacking the Mysterio family in the middle of the ring. So that's kind of how Raw went. Didn't really get me grab me as a great show it had some good moments most of it was just forwarding storylines to payback and what's going to happen tonight so i wasn't really uh i don't know i mean it was what it was there's some parts of it that kind of weave together a little bit maybe there's a lot of speculation right now that retribution might be linked to the return of the big dog roman reigns which that would be really interesting but that rumor actually got squashed pretty well. The only other thing that kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night, I should say, was Alistair Black's heel turn on Kevin Owens. I mean, Kevin's going with this, I need to make things right, vibe. That's his current angle right now. And if he and Alistair Black eventually fought each other, I guess that would be cool. I'd be down with that. They're both athletic big men could get it done in the ring. That won't be a terrible match. It'd be a pretty good match. But just that, again, because no one gets Alistair Black, and this is the fault of writing, lazy writing in WWE, when there's a wrestler that no one gets and they try to shoehorn him into one thing or another, they shoehorned him into being a good guy when facing and siding with his mentor, Rey Mysterio. But I'm sure now Black is going to come out next week with a blistering promo of what did helping Rey Mysterio get me? Nothing. It got me blinded and blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden, Kevin Owens comes out. So I'm predicting that's going to happen next week and it's going to come into uh, a pretty good storyline. But Again, creative has nothing for you, so they just turn you heel. What do you think of Raw? Let me know in the comments below.
Let's flip and go to AEW. I'm sorry, not AEW. Let's flip and go to NXT again. I got to try to go back and I have to try to find AEW and watch it. So I apologize if there's no real AEW report. I'll try to squeeze two episodes in uh, if I can next time. So now we've got NXT, which again, it's the best of the three products, the best of the three, and had a lot of good going on with it. And I think that I heard the realest thing. I was going to put this on the heel and face Facebook page, and I still might. But the realest thing I think I've heard or felt right now came from Karrion Cross. As we talked about last week, Karrion Cross is out with a separated shoulder. It will take him three months at least to rehab a separated shoulder. And it's not like back in the old days of the 1950s when you played on the JV team and you separated your shoulder and your coach basically just punched you in the shoulder until he put it back in place. I mean, these things are pretty serious and you don't want the muscle to tear anymore. You don't want the tendons, anything to tear any more than it is. So if you do put it in place, there's a lot of time you have to rehab and sometimes even surgery. I mean, even Kenta was out for that long period of time. And I don't think Kenta even recovered when he was Hideo Itami. I don't think he ever really recovered. And that's kind of why his run at in WWE was disappointing. But let's hope that he is not uh, carrying the curse to carry and cross. Say that five times fast. Carrying the curse to carry and cross. I hope he's not carrying this curse with him. But he said the realest line of the night as he relinquished the belt. He said, path is often laden with obstacles. But for me, the obstacles are the path. Let me just say that again, because I think I am actually going to post this again. The path is laden with obstacles. But for me, the obstacles are the path. If that's not the realest thing that you have ever heard in your entire life, at least right now in the modern era i mean then the, you're not paying attention because that is just that is that, that that hit me the kids say these days i felt that or that speaks to me or what is the other phrase i felt that is the phrase that everybody says now so carrying cross has to relinquish the title and he says don't take this as me giving up take this as me coming forward so please believe that Karrion Cross is heavily figured into the new era of WWE NXT. Belt changing wasn't a total disappointment this week because out of the blue, Brazongo beats Imperium for the NXT championships. I don't know if anybody has any insight on as to why or what prompted it. Maybe there's something that people don't know about Imperium. WWE NXT UK is starting up again later on next month or this month. We only got like two more days in August. Later on in September, they're starting back up again. So 
the travel ban might be lifted. Imperium might be heading back to the UK to wreak havoc again, joining Walter and uh, Wolf. So who knows? Maybe we'll see that grizzled young veteran invasion like we promised. We were promised briefly before the pandemic. Who knows? But I'm telling you, uh, I'm a huge uh, fan of Brizongo winning the belts finally. They were making a big deal about this being the both, I think the first major belt both of them have worn. I don't know about that. I thought Tyler Breeze was the FCW or one of the early NXT champions. I'm not 100% sure. Please check me on that if you know. But Brizongo definitely deserves this. I think that Fandango recognizes that with all the injuries, life is short and he needs to make a move. And I'm glad the WWE recognized that in Brizongo and made the move. No slight against Imperium. I would like to see Imperium stick around to do like a invasion again. That'd be fun. Bring Walter and bring Alexander Wolf too. That would be fun. Give us the Imperium versus Undisputed Era that we want. That then kind of took a total 180 for me as apparently WWE had to re-remind us that Tommaso Ciampa is a bad dude and made him beat up poor Jake Atlas. And of course, monster heel stomp Jake Atlas. Not just like, hey, I'm a bad guy and I cheated to win. I'm jerk and I stomped this poor 23-year-old kid into oblivion. Uh, you know, he did the whole pulling him off the stretcher and injuring him for life. And I'm going to get you, Tommaso Ciampa, you black heart son of a gun. We know, we get it. He's not happy. He's not happy he lost. He's not happy he's out. And he's not happy that he's not in the title picture. Okay. I guess this is when Tommaso Ciampa is at his best, when he's at his worst. And I'll go with that. But I definitely would have liked to have seen him versus Cross for the belt. To be honest, I think this is a course correct anyway, seeing as though Cross is out for three to six months. We'll see. I just... I don't I just think it's kind of lazy just to reinforce that Tommaso Ciampa is, in fact, a bad guy. We're supposed to hate him. Somebody who gets natural hate is Robert Stone and Robert Stone brand came out to try to make maybe a last ditch effort to convert people to the Robert Stone brand. For the third time, he was run over by Shotzi Blackheart in the taking care of business tank. That was pretty fun to see really curious i'm a huge fan of both female wrestlers but shotzi to win they must see a lot in shotzi i mean who wouldn't she's pretty awesome i don't know if she's belt material right now especially with the current status of what's going on with the nxt belt with io shirai establishing her dominance and putting together great matches but with Shotzi being fun and being entertaining as hell and just basically wrestling her butt off, it was a lot of fun. And then you've got Mia Yim, who's a veteran, who's been around. And it showed after the match, Mia Yim was visibly upset that she had lost. Who knows? There's rumors that she's going to be part of Retribution. I don't know if I believe that. But again, they're all in masks. So who knows what's happening? Uh, Shotzi Blackheart did get the win. I think this is going to be part of a Mia Yim heel turn. And if it is, 
it's if she is going to be part of retribution, then I can see how she could fit herself into. I'm part of retribution because I get passed over. I get looked over. I got beat by Charlotte. No one's taking me seriously as a wrestler around here and I'm doing all I can. So we'll see what happens with that. Commissioner Regal comes out to announce who are the four competitors for the now vacated NXT belt after a heated meeting with Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Matt Bloom, and I don't remember who the fifth person was. They all came to the decision that if anybody's going to fight for the NXT championship, it should be the four greatest NXT champions of all time. So I'm not going to hate that. Finn Balor got shoehorned in. I think out of all four guys, I think Finn Balor kind of got shoehorned in a little bit. But what do we what do I know? Blackheart, Tommaso Ciampa, Adam Cole and Johnny NXT, Johnny Gargano are all now in this fatal four way. But not only that, but it's going to be a 60 man, 60 minute Iron Man match. So we'll look forward to that. That's going to be cool. 60 minutes of them going at it. Uh, you might want to start putting this in as the ballot for match of the year. The only problem is, is Adam Cole's the baby face. That's what it looks like. If you really want to put it in those terms, I mean, I'm sure the WWE is going to say, oh, no, they all have things about them and they're all individuals. They're not really heel or baby. No, you got to got to at least figure out who's going to be the one who's going to take the brunt of the offense. Who's going to be the one that's going to be doing the most as far as the most work in the match? You would think it's got to be Adam Cole. And if Adam Cole comes out victorious and wins his belt back, holy crap. You might see this as the complete babyface turn of Adam Cole and Undisputed Era. And I'm with it. I'm definitely with it. Now, I'm definitely with Santos Escobar and Isaiah Swerve Scott. I know a lot of people are waiting for Swerve to win the Cruiserweight belt on NXT. We know that Legando Del Fantasma are killing it right now as a collective and Santos Escobar as an individual. Uh, great match. Very inventive. And again, WWE is perfect to telling the story, not just only inside the ring, but outside the ring as well. With Escobar resorting to cheating by donning a random lucha mask with a weighted gem or something in it, which knocked Swerve out with one headbutt. Santos Escobar gets into the ring and one, two, three. I like the fact that Brazongo interfered to keep up with the continuity of the match to help out their buddy Swerve Scott. And I like the fact that hopefully this is the launching pad for Mendoza and Joaquin Wild to get a shot at a belt. So that would be really fun. I know my heart of hearts, I still want Lorcan and Birch to win the NXT tag belts, but I know that's not happening and they kind of want to bring some excitement. So let's see Brazongo versus the two members of Legando and we'll see what happens. I'm all for it. Hey, by the way, who remembers that Drake Maverick can actually wrestle? He finally got a chance to as he took on Kyle O'Reilly, and it was a great match. 
a contrast of styles to be sure. Kyle O'Reilly definitely laying it in. But as we know with Drake Maverick, he's had that pugnacious, tough guy, Napoleon attitude where I'm bigger than I wrestle and he's a daggone good wrestler. I'm glad Drake Maverick got this time. Unfortunately, it was to reintroduce Killian Dane being a right jerk. And uh, even though Kyle O'Reilly won the match, Dane comes in and lays out both O'Reilly and Drake Maverick for whatever reason. I don't know. Probably to get a feud between the two of them going for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, they're constantly looking for something Killian Dane to do. They pretty much killed him by putting him in sanity anyway. So we'll see what happens to that match. Uh, the final match of the night, the main event of the night, was the tag match between Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. Last week, you saw the stare down between Ripley and Gonzalez. Two hosses going at it. I'm with that. Again, love the fact that Raquel Gonzalez is working kind of like Diesel. You know, the big woman. I like seeing it. I think she's good in that role. And I will admit, I know, I wanted her to be kind of more like her dad. Kind of more like the Stan Hansen with the bull rope and the cowgirl and hitting people over the head with with the uh, cowbell. I would have liked to have seen that. I'm glad I was wrong about that anyway. Dakota Kai is relishing in her role as the heel getting really good. Matter of fact, just getting better with every time out. Every time she goes out, she gets better as a heel. I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully, this will lead to a match with her Shirai where she'll actually take the belt from Shirai. Who knows? I know that NXT isn't due for anything big for a while. They're not going to be part of the payback pay-per-view, and they probably won't have another takeover until, oh, what's next? Uh survivor series right so we'll see with that and uh mercedes martinez even interjected herself into the match she interfered a little bit because she has a thing going with rhea ripley now too she's even though part of the robert stone brand she doesn't look happy to be there i'm sure she's working on some kind of angle where she's just using the robert stone brand to gain the notoriety i don't think she's in it for the long haul but every group, every stable also has to have muscle. So maybe that's why Mercedes Martinez was there. I'm pretty sure this is the role that Vince had envisioned for Shayna Baszler. And I'm glad Shayna Baszler is not in NXT anymore for that reason, because that would be awful. Rhea Ripley was, as I said, attacked by Martinez and she was weakened enough, just enough for Gonzalez to come in, get her with the boot and a slam for the pin so nxt had a lot of good points to it it was uh good it was disappointing to see jacob atlas get beat up the way he got beat up other than that things are just kind of furthering along we're gonna see some pretty good nxts on wednesdays coming up so get ready for that action smackdown as far as smackdown's concerned i'm just gonna talk about it because honestly i did not get the opportunity to well, I did get the opportunity to watch SmackDown, but unfortunately I didn't prepare SmackDown for you guys today. I did see some uh, good things as far as 
first of all, Scrap Daddy, Adam Pierce getting a lot of time on air. That made me happy, especially Postman Pierce. I really hope somehow Postman Pierce becomes a stalwart of the Firefly Funhouse. The chairman was back, but he was just there just to basically order Adam Pierce around to make him go get everybody's signature. The rest of SmackDown, you know, you've got no Mandy Rose because she got the definitive victory. We're all wishing Sonya Deville the best. Hopefully she can survive. Apparently Sonya Deville has another stalker, another crazy person who is vowing to finish what the other guy started. Hopefully they nip that guy in the butt. I think they nip that guy in the butt as well. I just don't get people. This world is getting crazier and crazier all the time. Um, just with the rest of SmackDown, I like to see Sami Zayn, the real Intercontinental Champion, back. I'm glad he's back. Who picked... Sami Zayn versus Jeff Hardy for an IC unification title. Now put your hand down. You didn't pick that, but I'm all for it. I want to see it. I definitely want to see it happen. This is a match of two superstars that you thought would never happen. It would be a lot of fun to see uh, how they react to each other. I think very similar styles. Um, you don't see too much high flying from Sami Zayn. He's toned that out of his game recently, of course, because he gets injured quite frequently, to be honest. But I'd love to see the two of them go at it. I'd like to see Jeff be his athletic self, and I'd like to see Sami Zayn react off of that. A lot of wrestling, a lot of uh, spots where Jeff Hardy gets the better of the artist and gets him befuddled. No one could get befuddled any better than Sami Zayn, so it's uh, going to be definitely worthwhile looking forward to that eventual feud matt riddle defeated shorty g which set up tonight's match between him and corbin with payback coming up braun Strowman is taking revenge on drew gulak from the previous week and squashes him forthwith kind of sad i don't really want to see drew gulak back in the wwe just to do that i want him to see him do bigger things I was shocked. I don't know why I didn't know this, but I guess Kalisto's back. And not only is he back, because I thought he left on bad terms, but I guess that's how they're going to play it because Kalisto is hitting heel turns and he's going to get to the point where he's basically going to turn on Lince Dorado. Uh, pretty bad botch from poor Grand Metal Leak. And of course, the guy to wrestle the Luchas is Cesaro because he's taken over the Steven slash William Regal role of wrestling the luchadors because nobody else can wrestle them in, in their particular style. So Cesaro gets trotted out there to do it. Anyone, he beat Callisto after Callisto was talking about how they should watch him to see how it's done. Why come back? I don't know, especially if you were on bad terms. Who knows? They say you shouldn't go back to a job you quit, but I don't know. Another convoluted match was Biggie and Heavy Machinery versus Sheamus and Miz and Morrison. Kind of a cluster, as you would imagine. I guess there's real heat between Biggie and The Miz. I know we have to tread lightly here because in the 
recent social justice issues of being woke and privilege, how people, again, are being hypercritical. And I think we're being a little hypercritical of The Miz here. I know he had some comments on Talking Smack. Basically, the promo that won him points against Daniel Bryan about working hard and taking advantage of your opportunities, the same promo that worked against Daniel Bryan years ago is the same promo that he cut on Big E about Big E and Kofi talking about how they didn't get opportunities, how they've been waiting for a long time. And yes, there's a complete social dynamic there. It's obvious that because of racial stereotypical roadblocks, the road for Kofi and for Big E to get their shots at gold and WWE has been too long. It's uh, circumlocuted. It's been very meandering. And I think though, I think we're killing Miz for something that he said that you could misconstrue it the wrong way, but at the same time too, I think Miz is just healing. I think Miz is just being the Miz. I don't think he's, truly feels like that i don't truly feels like feel like the miz is actuating and actualizing some type of white privilege defense you can read into it however you want to read into it i know definitely Big E's the one if you want to argue along those lines Big E's the one that you want to argue against those lines because he's probably the best at articulating those lines that I've heard anybody, let alone a wrestler, be able to articulate. So take it for what you will. I think people are overreacting a little bit to The Miz on Talking Smack, talking about the issues. We all know they're there. We all know they're pervasive. And you wouldn't find a bigger fan of me marking out when Kofi won at WrestleMania, having a perfect WrestleMania moment. And you're going to find me doing the same when Big E eventually wins, when he gets his shot at the WWE Championship. So let's not kill The Miz for for the comments so much. I don't think he deserved a lot of it. But be that as it may, the faces got their win. They got their comeuppance. And now tonight we're going to see Big E versus Sheamus at Payback, which I'm really all excited for. Honestly, I mean, uh, it'll work for me um, seeing two big hosses go at it. And we all know that Sheamus is kind of accepting this role of spoiler of a guy who is willing to be the heel that's on the edge, like somebody who's there, but not there as far as being a jerk with the whole Jeff Hardy situation, making fun of his recovery. I don't know if I would go too far into it, big Seamus, but clearly Seamus doesn't have a problem with tight roping the edge of this tension as far as race goes either. If this turns into a 2000 Booker T Triple H thing, I know Myself and other people are going to be highly upset. So we'll see what happens with that tonight and in the future. You got to know that Big E is probably on that trajectory to go up anyway. So we'll see 
We'll see, and we'll hope for big things for Big E. That's it for this week. A lot of good stuff we talked about. Again, check me out on Twitter at Heal and Face Pod. You can check out the Facebook page. You already know where that is. You can check us out on our social medias at HT Wrestling 316. You can check out the audio of this podcast on any streaming service you wish from Heel Turn Wrestling and the Heel and Face podcast. I'm Steve Castellanovo, your humble host. And as always, peace. <laughs>